have experienced worship in a lot of places in my life. I cannot think of too many places where it was any better than this, folks. <laughs> Father, we are your children. We take this time to sit at your feet. I pray that today, each of us, right where we are, will hear from you. It may be something that comes directly out of the sermon or it may be totally unrelated to what I am going to be speaking through my mouth. But Father, I pray that today, right where we are, your children who are listening will hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wonder... How many of you have ever been lost? This could be a physical lostness. You got off the trail. This could be a social. You're a little socially inept. Maybe a spiritual. You've been, you were spiritually lost. Who would raise their hands proudly and say, I have been lost at least one time in my life? Awesome. Thank you for your integrity. Probably most of us have been lost. I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to get lost, and it was a kind of a life lesson for me. It was good. It was a Saturday night, and I went to my first ever corn maze. Who's ever done a corn maze? Ever done a corn maze? Did you enjoy it? Ours was amazing. It was so fun. We took our kids to this local dairy farm. I'm not going to tell you who it is, and you might understand later why. We got there later than we planned on a Saturday night. The moon was nearly full. We had hot dogs. We had s'mores. We climbed this hay bale mountain. We crawled through the tunnels in the hay bale mountain. It was just so cool. And then about 9 p.m., we decided we were going to do this corn maze. The people at the campfire thought we were nuts. We probably were. But we decided to give it a try. And so we headed in the maze. And as we did that, I scanned to see where the moon was at. So I, I'd at least have some point of reference as we were moving out. That is the corn maze from this sky. Isn't that impressive? Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> we headed into the corn maze. We broke into two groups. Somewhere around the bottom of the spider leg, we broke into two groups. And we, we decided we were, we were going to race to see who could get to the bat first. There is a designated place at the bat that I won't describe the place on the bat. But at the bat, we decided we'd find, we'd see who could get there first. We got there first. It was so fun. I'm sorry. It was so fun. And um, we hid in the corn and scared them as they came through. It was great. It was great. And then we raced again, and, and uh, we didn't do so well that time. They, they scared us as we approached the area. It was so much fun. We got lost. We got disoriented. Uh, one particular gender in our party got rather scared. Others of us enjoyed scaring people. I'm not going to tell you who that was. It was good fun. As we left the maze, we, we, we made our way out. It was like 10 minutes after 10. And as we're leaving the maze and then the dairy farm, one of the girls asked the cashier, a really good question, but I think we should have asked it earlier. She said, so, like, do you all 
like at the end of the day, send staff through the maze to make sure everybody's out? And the staff person said, no, we don't have time for that. Well, I should have known that earlier, right? And I'm, I'm driving home, and I thought to myself, something in us somewhat enjoys getting lost uh, in controlled circumstances. But I can't think of anyone who enjoys getting and being lost in uncontrolled circumstances. I didn't get lost that night because I trusted the map. There were a couple of times when I was in the maze that I wondered if the map was actually accurate. In fact, there was one point in time, can we flip that, please? There was one point in time I was pretty sure that the map was backwards of how the field was actually laid out. There were some times that I was actually asking myself, can I trust the map? What if the map was totally wrong? There was these times that I was in the maze where I had the map and I had my reality. And I second-guessed where we were at in the map. In fact, I'm pretty sure that one time, at one point in time, I thought, can we flip it back over, guys? Awesome, thank you. They're great. At one point in time, I thought we were like on the right side of the Superman symbol, and we were clear down here closer to the daisy. I was totally discombobulated. I am directionally challenged. Rex, as we know, has a keen sense of balance. I am directionally challenged. I'll admit that to the church. I realized as we were driving home that evening that sometimes life can be like a maze. You can feel lost, disoriented, maybe you even wonder about the map. And sometimes you might even try to kind of guess where you are in the maze and how are you going to get out. And as I look at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, I just wonder if it may have been that for Joseph and for Mary, they kind of felt like they were in a maze and they didn't really have a map. You see, everything that was presented to them was pretty much off the charts. Nobody had ever experienced anything like this previously. We've been walking this journey with Mary, and for those of us that are with us today, I told somebody outside of the church community this week that we were talking about the nativity, and they said, seriously, in October? Yeah, we're doing that today. We're going to talk about the nativity. And we've been on this journey with Mary. We watched her respond to the news that she would be the mother of the Son of God. We watched Mary respond to this insanely unusual news with celebration rather than hesitation. We watched Mary step into celebration before she had all the answers. And that spoke to me. I hope it does to you. See, sometimes I feel like when I have the answers, when I have all the pieces together, it's easier to celebrate. Mary, in the context of great confusion, was celebrating. We watched Mary's song. We considered her exceptional praise. We considered how that draws us into action, how exceptional praise often involves others, and how it lingers in the work of God. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to journey through the nativity, through the birth of Christ. And we're going to look at the whirlwind of circumstances. And we will embrace alongside Mary what I call exceptional pause. As we start to unpack this story, I want to do something that I rarely do. I want to take us to the end of the passage. I want to take us to what can be considered the conclusion of this part of the story. And there's a reason why we're going to do that. Because I want it for us today to consider all of the circumstances in the context of Mary's response. 
So turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. This is how Dr. Luke communicated the conclusion of this part of the story. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, I am a guy of action. I love action. I love to be out and about and doing things. But this is a pause. For some people, action is easier than pause. For others, pause is easier than action. But here we see Mary with this exceptional pause. She is pondering all these things. As I was thinking about this, and I'm going to throw this at you, and I hope this doesn't confuse you. I believe that we tend to look at situations, perhaps any situation, and we put the response in the context of the circumstances. But I wonder if it should be the other way around, actually. I wonder if we should see, and maybe God sees it this way, the other way around, if we should see the circumstance in the context of the response. You see, the response tells us what our buy-in is. The response tells us about the posture of our heart. And so we can take any set of circumstances and say the context is not the circumstances, although I easily go there, do you? We can say the context isn't the circumstances. The context is actually the response. What if in the mind of God, the context is not our circumstances, but the context is our response? In this passage, let's interpret all of the circumstances, and they were crazy circumstances, in light of Mary's response. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. As we unpack this biblical passage in the, for the birth of Jesus this morning, I invite you to look with me at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Because here we see that the circumstances of relocation, circumstances that were less, much less than optimal, form the backdrop for God's unfolding plan. Let's listen together at Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in the manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So we see Mary, and she's nearing her due date, and something very, very unexpected happened. It was not the first time, but it was the first time in a long time that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. So I was trying to wrap my mind around this this week and say, okay, God, how would we take this and put this into our own context? Here's the best thing I could come up with. The best thing I could come up with was this. If all of the world leaders, for whatever reason arbitrarily said, on December 25th of this year, every person has to go back to the town of their birth. Imagine the chaos. Imagine the confusion. 
There was a time recently that we were coming up from Atlanta to Indiana, and one road was closed down. And you know what? We could not find a hotel anywhere. We slept in a rest area along with a lot of other people. That was one road. Imagine if, if all of the world leaders said everybody on December 25th has to be back at the time of their birth. That's confusion. That's ridiculous. That's chaos. That's the environment that Mary and Joseph and this unborn child, Jesus, our Messiah, was jaunting into. There was chaos. It was so much less than optimal. Mary was ripped from her family. Think about it. She's probably anticipating that she'll be around her family. She'll be at home, a place of comfort, a place of care, a place where people know her. She's yanked from that. She's ripped from that, thrown into this environment where there's tremendous chaos. That's the environment where Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, was brought into. There was no call ahead to reserve a hotel room. There was no online reservation system. There was no texting friends to tell them, hey, we're on our way. Nothing like that. There was no Twitter. I asked the teens on Wednesday what they thought might be tweeted if Mary and Joseph had had that that ability. And here are a couple of options that we had. From Mary, there might have been a tweet that said, hashtag baby Jesus is here. That's from Mary at Bethlehem Stable. Joseph apparently has a website, joseph.com at Bethlehem from East. And Joseph said this, speechless awe, hashtag no words. There's actually more to it, but it's very complex. So I just went with speechless awe, hashtag no words. They didn't have that. All they had was chaos. All they had was confusion. They did not have a map for this. What they had was God pressing in upon them. What they had was some heavenly visits. What they had was circumstances seemingly going from bad to worse. And I recognize that in the confusion of the circumstances and in their humanness, they easily could have wondered if they misunderstood something. Is it, did we miss something? Was there something stated? Was there something else communicated? Did I, did I take a nap when an angel was trying to talk to me? Was there something more that was taking place that I should have known about that I just didn't get? See, anytime we experience chaos or trauma or problems, it's easy to start filling in the gaps. There was for them this huge gap between expectation and reality. This gap was very likely alarming. And I acknowledge, along with you today, that we have gaps as well, don't we? I was talking to a young couple just before the second service, and they were telling me about something that went down, and I thought, wow, that's a huge gap. Didn't see that coming. I was talking to a friend yesterday. He was telling me about something going on in his life, and I just thought, that's a huge gap there. Sometimes we're not real sure what to do with those gaps. Let's be honest about that. Maybe we've even found ourselves attempting to fill in the gaps. So scientists tell us that we, as humans, tend to form whole perceptions from partial images. Have you ever done this? We do that all the time, according to scientists. We take information from a physical object, we take what is hidden from view, and we mentally round in the information and to try to perceive the whole thing. Or at least the way we can see it in our minds. 
There's a term for this. It's called mental extrapolation. You need to know this. It's going to be on the entrance test into heaven. Mental. I'm kidding. Mental extrapolation. It's called, we, we, see the, we never see the entirety of any object. And I would, I would tell you this morning that as I've looked at this, I thought that is true. Really, if I held up an apple for you, you would see your side of the apple. You would not see the inside of the apple. You wouldn't see the side that I see. It's true in the physical realm. It's true in the realm of relationships. Think about how many times we can start to throw things into the gaps in our relationships and say, well, it must be this or this or this or this is why that person's acting that way. It's called mental extrapolation. Now, I want to give us a couple of examples. Can we throw the first one up? Okay, there's a, there's a picture of a faceless man. Now, I just wonder if one of the historians among us might be able to look at that and say, I believe I know who that person is. Anybody here have a guess? Look closely at the stance. Look closely at the furniture. You see the mantle of the fireplace. Anybody have a guess? Teddy Roosevelt, you win. I have no prize, but you win. Ron did, and the rest of you are attempting to do mental extrapolation. I have no idea who this is. Who could it be? You were trying to fill in the gap. Mental extrapolation. Good job, Ron. Let's see how you can do on the next one. No, I'm just I'm not holding you on this one. Okay. Who can tell me what they think the last line, which was partly obscured by a ruler, who can tell me what you think that is, what you think that says? I heard I love you. Anybody else? Who would agree and say, I think it probably says I love you. Raise your hand. Okay, let's see what the next is. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't actually know how to say that. I tried four times in my office this week. I have no idea how to say that. But it doesn't say, I love you. That was mental extrapolation. The first time, you were very successful. Thank you, Ron, for leading the charge on that. The second time, we all thought we knew what it said. We all thought we knew that it said, I love you. See, we fill in what is obscure. It's called mental extrapolation. The circumstances under which God brought his son into the world, I believe, likely fell short of Mary's expectations. Think about it. If Mary's going to be kind of hanging out at home and an angel comes and says, hey, you know what? Blessed are you among all women and this is what God's going to do. Then doesn't it seem likely that at the birth of this amazing miracle, there's going to be at least one angel? Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make sense that it's going to be comfortable and beautiful and maybe, maybe they'll have a choir and maybe they'll have stringed instruments in the background and maybe they'll have drums. I mean, it should be amazing, right? See, it's very likely that for Mary, as she looked at the events unfolding, as she looked at the circumstances, she kind of thought to herself, you know, I don't really get what's going on here. How can it be that there's this angel that pronounces this to me and then later on when the shepherds come, well, how can it be that the shepherds had the angel choir. I, did, I didn't. You see, it's easy for us to mentally extrapolate. It would have been easy for Mary to have done the same. And I would say to you this morning that in those places that are obscure, those gaps, and realistically, every one of us has gaps. In those gaps, those places that are obscure, I would encourage you, as your brother in Christ, do not fill in the gaps with wrong opinions of who God is. Don't take God 
at those places. You see, God is not inclined to withhold from us information. And as I was thinking through and agonizing over the sermon over these last couple of weeks, I recognized that there are likely circumstances all through this sanctuary, all woven amongst us. There are likely circumstances where you would love to fill in those gaps. You would love to say, you know what, God, if you just did that, and this would be a good time to do that, it'd all be good. Things would be so much better. I believe that in the context of those gaps, God is looking for something different from us than just filling in the gaps. This brings us to the second truth, and that is this. The circumstances or the environment of, can we fill that in? Excellent. Revelation formed the template of God's plan of redemption for all. Listen with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Amazing. You see, nothing in this story is standard operating procedure. I probably am the only one. But if I could live my life with things pretty much as I expect, I think I'd be happier with that. How about you? But God often doesn't operate according to standard operating procedures. It would make more sense for Mary and Joseph at the cave, at the manger side, to have the angelic choir. But no, the angels went to a shepherd, to a group of shepherds out in the fields. God is revealing Himself, in the midst of all this unique stuff that's going on. A virgin carrying a child? A census? A baby placed in a feeding trough? Are you kidding me? Shepherds receiving an angelic visit, an angel choir. These say, this is not Monday morning normal, right? This is God working in the way that God wants What I have found in my life, and I bet you found it in yours, is that I'm a whole lot better off when I stop saying to God, God, this is how I want you to work. And I start saying to God, God, I want to know how you want to work. I want to know how I can be a part of that. I'm done with the script. I'm done trying to say, God, I I love you and you're great, but can I just have control over this? I'm so over that. I hope you are too. God is bringing all this to light and he's revealing. And I just wonder, as I was preparing this week for this sermon, especially the last couple of days, I just wonder, in the context of God revealing himself, I just wonder where you could appreciate God revealing something to you. I've got a son-in-law in Illinois. He just had a back surgery. Didn't work. 
They don't know what to do next. He's young. I would love for God to reveal himself in that. I've got a niece who's had health problems for years. I would love for God to reveal himself. I'd love for God to just fix it. You know what I'm saying? But the bigger agenda isn't, God, can you change all these circumstances and make it all right? The bigger question is this, God, can I have my heart in the right place so that I can really hear from you and not just my set of expectations? There's a third section to this. The circumstances or the environment of response, response, (laughs) grants us a perspective of what God hopes to see from us. Let's listen to Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There are these multiple responses that are taking place in this section of the passage. We see words like let's go and see and hurried off. We see found, spread the word, heard, amazed. We see treasured up. We see pondered. And I just wonder, and I brought the teens back in on this, what would, the, what would Joseph and the shepherds have said about now? Well, Joseph apparently was hungry. And he said, really want lamb chop. We had another hungry teen apparently on Wednesday night. Shepherd one at arrived Bethlehem said, I'm hungry. They look hungry. Are we all hungry? Hashtag Jesus is born. I don't know. Ryan, did we feed these kids before Wednesday night or not? I don't know what's going on. The final one, which is a little more uplifting, is fieldshepherds.com. There's a lot of websites going on in those days. Hashtag Hosanna. You should be here. This is unbelievable. I love our teens. You see, the room is spinning. And maybe the guys really were hungry. I don't know. There's nothing in the scripture that tells us that. But right in the middle of it all, there is a virgin who has just given birth to a child. And she's thinking. She's treasuring up all these things. All that's taking place. She's pondering them. You see, Mary sees the craziness of it all. She sees God's response, the Messiah, as a commoner. She sees the arrival of God with us, celebrated by a couple of shepherds out in the fields. And Mary's response to ponder is an exceptional pause. It's interesting to me that the word given to us was not the word wonder. You see, Mary could have wondered. There could have been these questioning trusts like, what in the world is God doing here? Does God have such a right? Why would God set this up this way? That would be wonder. But instead we have the word ponder. 
the element of question is replaced with one of hope and anticipation. You see, Mary gives us the posture of her heart. And the posture of her heart is like this. Look what God is doing. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's not my template. It's not the map the way I would set up the map. I don't understand it, but, listen carefully, I embrace it. I'm going to hold on to it the way God gives it. And I believe Mary is also saying, so if this is how God works, and if this is how God functions, and if this is how God brings His answer to our problems into the world, what else does He want to do? What else is He going to do? And I believe that Mary, embedded in all this, is saying, in essence, how can I be a part of it? Now, let's take a look, because we have no idea what Joseph is doing, right? We have no idea at all. Nothing in the Scripture about Joseph, what he's doing. He could have taken off to buy some bread. I don't know. Maybe go get some clean straw. No idea. Maybe he was just kind of pushing the shepherds out of there, saying, thanks, guys, for coming. Now, go take care of your sheep. We need to have some quiet here. I have no idea what Joseph is doing, but we know this. Joseph wasn't alongside Mary pondering. Mary was pondering. We have no idea about Joseph. Mary is not just enjoying a happy moment with a new baby, right? That's there, I'm sure. She is carefully considering all that God has done. And she is saying in her heart, she's saying, if this is what God does, if this is how God works, then what else? What else is he wanting to do? And how can I be a part of it? You know, as I look at Mary, I just wonder if if she ever just kind of scratched her head. I mean, she is taking care of the Son of God. Would that not be a little scary? She didn't have a new manual, a new operator's manual that says, okay, here's, all, here's the way you take care of all of regular humanity. Now here's the way you take care of the Son of God. She did not have that. She had no map. She had no operator's manual. I wonder if Mary ever wondered, what's it mean to be the mother of the Son of God? I wonder if Mary ever wondered, so... If he was there and he was the word at all of creation, does he actually need me to feed him? Did Mary ever say something like, so if Jesus is ever naughty, can I tell him no? Parents think this way, right? Or did she ever think to herself, so if Jesus ever misbehaves, do I discipline the Son of God? See, Mary could have asked questions like this. She, could have, she had all these circumstances that were just swirling around her. But instead of wondering, instead of questioning, Mary pondered. Mary said, look what God is doing. How can I be a part of this? I hear a lot on the news about people posturing positioning themselves. We hear it in the politics. We hear it in sports. Oh, he's out of position. He was in position. You'll probably hear it this afternoon if you watch football. He was out of position. That's why. But God is saying to us this morning, would you please position your heart? 
Would you please put your heart in a posture so that whatever the circumstances are, those do not dictate who you are. The position of your heart is what dictates who you are. The position of your heart is what says to you, yeah, I know about all this stuff going on, but here's the real deal. I am going to praise God. The question isn't the circumstances. The question is the position of our hearts. I remember when I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea and the mission director, Louis Bussell, came to visit with us. He came to spend some time with the missionaries and the national leaders. Um, these were very challenging days in Papua New Guinea. And one day, Louis and I were talking and he, he turned to me and he said, Lane, what would you do if, it, if you would No, he said this. What would you attempt to do for God? if you knew that you would not fail. That was compelling to me, and it remains so, many years later. This pastor and Brady and I were talking about the sermon this week, and we were just, it was so enjoyable. I was just thinking about how God would want us to position our hearts. And I came to this. Think of the things that you would sit through if you knew that you would encounter the power of God. What would you endure? What would you navigate? What would you move toward? What would you move into if you knew that right there you would encounter the power of God? Now, I'm not talking exclusively about the power of God where God just radically changes everything, although we all know that he's very capable of doing that. I'm talking about the power of God bringing peace when there should be turmoil. I'm talking about the power of God bringing hope when there should be no hope. I'm talking about the power of God coming in, not as we dictate, not according to our map, but according to his, looking at our hearts and saying, this is what my child needs. My child needs hope. My child needs encouragement. My child needs a reminder that in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what's going on in their nation or in the world, I am their father who is in control. And I wonder, I just wonder today, what that revelation of God would look like for you. You see, this story goes way beyond Mary. This story goes way beyond us learning a great lesson out of the Word of God that says to us, this is what you should do. This, this goes way beyond that. This goes into God saying to our hearts, speaking to our hearts, not just an example of trust and confidence. This is God speaking to our hearts, not just to learn a lesson, not just to make an, an adjustments, not just to say, boy, I feel guilty that I didn't do better in that part of my Christian journey. This is God's call on our lives. Not to say, God, here are the circumstances, you've got to fix them all. This is God's call on our lives. Pastor Edgar, would you come on up wherever you are, brother? This is God's call on our lives. Not just to say, God, you know, if you were going to really make it all better for me, you could change this and you could change this. And boy, I sure would like to see you fix that. And God, you know, this right here and that right there, we could come up with a long list, a menu, couldn't we? Of the things that we would love for God to change and fix. The circumstances that we would love for him to shift. But the reality is, God has a deeper agenda. 
He wants us right in the middle of those circumstances. He wants our hearts to be so connected to his heart that we can say, God, you know what? If, if that and that and that was better, it'd be great. But God, I want to tell you this right now. I am not here to tell you what you should change. I am here to tell you that I trust you. What, I like circumstances different? Oh, yeah. I could tell you many stories. That is not the question for us. And the question is and also not, can we look at the story of Mary and say, oh, that's a great example. That is also not the lesson for us. The lesson is God saying to us, would you trust me? Would you anticipate my movement among you? And I do wonder, And I hear the dialogues. I'm walking the journey too. We hear about a lot of places where it's just bad. But what if the children of God said, you know what, it's true. I don't know what's going to happen there. And I don't know what's going to happen there. But I know. I know that I can trust my Father right in the middle of it all. Not expecting him to change the circumstances, but anticipating that he's going to be right here among me, right in the middle of it. So when it's great, I'm praising God. And when it's hideous, I'm still praising God. I want to give you just a moment before we move into the song to ask yourself and really just really more To ask God, God, what would you like to reveal to me today? What is your whisper to me right where I am? Take that moment with the Father right now, would you please?
Please stand with me this morning. One of the amazing things about preaching the Word of God is this. Although I know some of you pretty well, there's not one among you that I know entirely. Your father does. Isn't that amazing? He knows right where you're at, he knows all the past, he knows the present, he knows every fear every uncertainty. He knows every insecurity. We talk about CR as being a safe place, but there's a place that's a whole lot safer than that. It's right with God. I pray that in this week, your context won't be your circumstances. Your context will be the condition of your heart. It'll be the place where you're saying, God, you know, I I don't get all this. Here I am. And I'm trusting you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we have this passage of Scripture. I thank you that we know exactly how our Messiah, your Son of God, came into this world. I thank you that we know most of the circumstances. I thank you that the one who was and is perfect came into a place that was entirely chaotic. We invite you, Father, to come into those places of our lives where maybe we'd be more likely to look at the circumstances. We invite you to come into those places in our lives where we'd be more likely to try and give you the script. We invite you to come into those places in our lives where We actually don't see how it's going to work out. And right there, would you allow us to know the power of your presence? Because when we do, we know that all truly is well. Bless your children 
as we move out from this place, certainly not from your presence. Draw our hearts close. Let me real close, Father. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.